turn it off. Okay, we're good. Okay, good deal. I was about to grab three steps this way, and our ears are going to bleed. If you've ever seen the movie Saving Private Ryan, it's not really one of my favorites. I like it, but I mean, I, Reese Pieces is one of my favorites. But there's a scene, the opening scene of that movie. Um, the first time I, I watched it, I forget if I was in middle school or maybe early high school, um, but maybe it's just the way God speaks to me. He doesn't always speak to me through a hymn or a Christian song or a Christian movie. He'll speak to me as well through you know, uh, secular lyrics or secular music or secular um, uh, movies. I remember watching the, uh, the opening scene you know, where they're storming the beaches of Normandy and, and really wondering, would I, would I be willing, how far could I go out of the boat knowing that I was probably going to lose my life? How far could I, could I make it? I mean, even just on, on would I even do it? Like not could I dodge bullets and get on the shore? But how far would I be willing to go so that those behind me could go further than me? Would I be too scared to even get out of the boat? Would I not be there in the first place? How far am I willing to go, you know, for other people so that they may have made it? So since then, uh, since this was about, I don't know, like 10 years of sermons in the making or something, I don't know. But since then, I, I started thinking spiritually, how far am I willing to go? How far are we, the body of Christ, how far are we willing to go so that other people can know Christ, maybe even more than us? so that they can experience Christ on levels that maybe I don't get to experience. Am I okay with that if they get to go further than I get to go? Am I okay with it if they get more freedom than I get? Would I, would I be okay with that? That's what I want to focus on today. So if you have your Bibles, you can be in John 11. We'll go 1 through 44 and read the entire story of, uh, of, of Jesus' encounter with Lazarus. If you, uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in front of you. If you don't own one, take this one home with you. If you do own one, but you left it at home, leave this one here. I don't want to add to your collection. But if you don't have one, that's a gift uh, from us to you. Uh, I'll pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll dive into this. Now, I will tell you this. How far are we willing to go for others may be free? This will come kind of at the end of, uh, of, our, of the message today. We won't wait until next week. We'll answer it today. We'll focus on it today. Because it comes at the end of Jesus' encounter with Lazarus in this text. And I could have just started it there. But we would have missed out on a lot of other things that happened, uh, interactions Jesus had with his disciples and Mary and Martha before we get to that point. So uh, that's why I chose to go all verses 1 through 44. Uh, but let's pray and then we'll dive in. God, thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to share your word. And I pray that is what I'll do. God, not my agenda. I'll go as far as you allow me to go with no further. And I pray that all things are glorified in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So John 11, verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory that God's Son may be glorified through it. So Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. I want to stop there for a second. If you read the scriptures and you're inquisitive like I am, we've got to do something with this text. Like I have a lot of questions already. 
Like when Jesus hears this word that the, the one he loves is sick, why did he stay two more days? Why did he wait? Why didn't he go now? Or why didn't he go as soon as he heard the, uh, the news that, hey, Lord, the one you love is sick, Lazarus. You know, Mary and Martha, Lazarus, you're the family, you love him, y'all are great friends, he's sick, he needs some help. We should go. Did Jesus wait two more days? Well, I'm convinced something happens in our waiting. Maybe that's why God allows us to, to wait. Maybe you're in a season of waiting right now. I talked about this a little bit at Christmas, but I'll add this addition to it now. I believe one of two things happens when we wait, when we have to wait, when we wait on the Lord. One of two things I believe happens. One, either our faith is proved genuine and is displayed in our being able to rest and find peace in God's promises that He is at work and that He is in control. So while we're waiting, maybe we have peace that, no, God has this complete hand in this. He's not unaware of what's going on. He's at work, and I'm just going to be still and be at peace knowing that he's in control and trusting him. So that's one thing that can happen to our faith while we're waiting. The opposite that can happen to our faith or the other that can happen to our faith is we can discover our lack of faith, which is displayed in our anger and aggression towards God. And so we'll look and see how Mary and Martha handled the waiting as we, as we proceed through the text. Verse 7, Then Jesus said, after two days, let us go back to Judea. The rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you you are going back there. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by the day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, my friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. When Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant a natural sleep, so he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Or their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. Mary stayed at home. Verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I'm going to stop there for a second. Because here's, here's the scene. You have Mary and Martha, I'm assuming maybe other family members of Lazarus. And you have a community of, of the Jewish people who have also gathered. Maybe they're uh, similar to the message. Maybe they brought casseroles. Maybe they brought bread or food, potatoes, whatever. Maybe they just brought some food, but they're going to comfort and mourn with uh, Mary and Martha and the rest of Lazarus' family. When Jesus arrives and they hear that Jesus is there, Mary stays put and Martha goes out to meet Jesus and she has this uh, response for him. Hey, Lord, if you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. And maybe we've never said that verbally, but has, has the posture of your heart ever been one of, Lord, had you been here, this wouldn't have happened. Had you been aware of what was going on in my life, this would not have been the case. Hey, God, if you would have been at work, you could have saved the day. Had you shown up? Had you been aware, had you done something, had you not ignored me, had you not waited, the outcome would have been different over here. Has that ever been the posture of your heart? I'll confess it's been the uh, posture of my heart on numerous occasions. And I have to repent of it and understand that God is in control whether I like the results or not. But what about you? Have, have you ever had that posture towards the Lord? Had you have been here, Jesus, had you have been here, this would not have happened. 
goes on to say in verse 22, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Let's answer that question today. Not just a Sunday school answer of yes, I believe this, but do you believe this? Jesus says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? That we'll have eternity somewhere. That we're in eternity now. Now. We will go on living forever somewhere. Do you believe this? Do you believe that through Jesus and through Christ alone, our eternity can be spent with the Father as our reward? That even though we die, we believe in Him, we'll live forever. Do you believe this? It may sound silly, but it's not silly to Jesus. It's what Jesus said. I'm the resurrection, I'm the life. If you believe in me, you'll, you'll live forever. Do you believe this? That's the cornerstone of our faith, right? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him, possibly waiting on her. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Again, it's the same thing that Martha had said. So although they're two completely different people, two completely different personalities, we see from Scripture, both of them had the same response to fame. Lord, had you been here, this wouldn't have happened. When he saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Let me ask you, when you read this text, or when this text is being read, which one do you land on? Where do you land when you read that, you know, Jesus wept? You know, Jesus was moved in the spirit. Do you sympathize and say, Man, look how Jesus loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And look how he loved his family. And he's moved to tears because they're grieving. Or, do you land over here and you say, well, I don't know why he didn't heal him. He can, he's raised from the dead. He's before. He's healed the blind. We know what he can do. We know he's capable of. Why didn't he? So even in this text, where do you find yourself? Are you moved that Jesus was moved and that Jesus had sympathy for these people? Or are you already frustrated that, you know, that, that Lazarus died one death already? And now here's Jesus and Lazarus is in the tomb. Where do you find yourself in this text? Verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. 
I want to recap the, uh, the last couple verses here. Maybe you've seen a movie or a picture, but a stone that went over the entrance of a tomb, went over the entrance of a cave, was maybe a four by four or five by five, maybe even a little bit bigger. But imagine a wheel that's about a foot, uh, foot thick, four by four, five by five, and you just push and just roll it over the mouth of, uh, of the cave. And when Jesus, when he arrives, he says to the community, to the people here, just take away the stone. And in that moment, the stone is the only thing that's standing between Lazarus and Jesus. It's the only barrier that Jesus wants to remove. Right? It's the only thing standing between them. It's in the way. Physically, in the way. And he says, I want that out. Of course, I read this and my mind goes to, what is the stone, what are the stones in our life, that which stands between us and, and God, that which stands between us and coming to Jesus, what is it that's in the way? relationship with God? What is it? What desire do you have that's more, that you desire more than Jesus? What is it you desire more than Jesus? What is it that's that stumbling block that you can't quite see Jesus? Is it something blocking your view, your vision? And Jesus, it was in the way for Lazarus. It was this stone, physical stone, and Jesus said, remove the stone. I want that out of the way. I got to get to my child here. I got to get to my friend. Remove the stone. And so they do. Then Jesus says of Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. And he does. Lazarus simply responds to the words of Jesus, the commands of Jesus. Lazarus, come out. Lazarus comes out wrapped up like a mummy. Right, it was a bad odor. I wonder if there was flies buzzing around. I wonder if the people were holding their nose or fanning their face. It was a bad odor. He had been there for four days. And then Jesus says to, don't miss this, he says to the community of individuals, he says to Mary, to Martha, to the community of Jews who had made this little trip from the house to the tomb, he says to them, take off his grave clothes. Get these wraps, this cloth, this linen that is, that, that is prepared for death. Unwrap that, let him go. In other words, he needs to be free and he's wrapped in grave clothes. You all see to it that he's not covered in grave clothes. That's what I want to focus on this morning. Is how do we view people in grave clothes? Are we willing to, how far are we willing to go so that somebody else may be free, so that the Lazarus in our life may be free? So I want to talk about community first. And what's the difference between having just friends that will come over and eat wings with you and watch the game or that will shop with you or go fishing with you? What's the difference between those friends and then biblical gospel-centered community that the Bible talks about that we see in Acts and throughout the New Testament that Jesus had with his own disciples. Well, for gospel-centered community, there's accountability, there's a, there's a loving encouragement when you need it, somebody will lovingly rebuke you when you need it, and then you're willing to be known by the group, and you want to get to know the individuals of the group. This is gospel-centered community. That I'm going to carry your burden, you can carry mine. We'll lay hands and pray for you. Lay hands on me and pray for me. I've been struggling for four months with fill in the blank. Would you pray for me? Or my marriage is going through this. Would you pray for me? Now, one reason why a lot of people don't want community, even in church, whether it be Wednesday night small groups or Sunday school, whatever, is because in those small groups, they made a confession one time, and that confession was turned into gossip wrapped in a grave cloth. And then they were hurt by the church or burned by the church. They've either left the church altogether or they'll come on Sunday morning because there's nothing else to do in the church and they don't want biblical community because they tried it one time, they were vulnerable one time, and it didn't work out well for them. And I struggle with that. I'm going to hold that against the church. 
And this place has to be a safe place in your small groups where you know, somebody should not say to you, I'm going to tell you about so-and-so's marriage. Now, they're struggling, but I want to tell you this so you can pray for them. That shouldn't happen in church. And that's one example. You can get the dozen, but you know the example I'm talking about. People who will wrap up gossip in a prayer request. You can't have that. At least you can't have that in biblical community in the same place, the same time. And so one reason why we need accountability today, and we just talked about love uh, last week and celebrated Valentine's Day. But we live in a culture right now that, that is really saying, and specifically as Christians, if you don't love and embrace and accept and tolerate everything that I choose, then you're a bigot, you hate me, and all kinds of wicked names to throw to that. And yet, why can't I say, no, no, I love you enough to tell you I can't support this decision any longer? How have we redefined love? To where love now has to be, you must agree with everything I say and do or you don't love me. Well, Jesus doesn't call me to have that kind of attitude. And biblically, that isn't the call. In fact, one of the um, spiritual pillars and mentors in my life, love this guy to death, his name's uh, Byron Berry. Uh, early on in my ministry, I mean early in my, my first appointment, um, I was talking to him. And, and I was kind of struggling. I was just kind of struggling with the church, kind of struggling with my family life call. And I remember talking to Byron and I said, hey, can I tell you something? He said, yeah, man, tell me anything. And he's a couple years older than me, so I know better than to talk back to him. But uh, he said, hey, can I, can I, are you sure? Are you prepared for this? And I said, yeah, man, I mean, lay it on me. He said, Kyle, you're arrogant. You think I felt great? think I felt like a million dollars after he told me that one? But you know what my response was to him? I said, man, I feel like you hate me right now. And he said, no, 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 Kyle, if I hated you, I'd tell you how awesome you were and what you don't think you are. He said, I love you enough to tell you sometimes when you come across as this, I know you don't mean to, just be aware of it. And I've tried every sermon, every interaction with you to not come across like that. He said, I hate that. I didn't know that it was in me and I was blind to it. But I needed that accountability in my life. I, need, I absolutely needed that. And so when I talk about community, that's what I'm talking about. And sometimes God will use community in our lives to accomplish his work in us. And if Jesus surrounded himself with community, i.e. the 12, then how much more should you and I surround ourselves with gospel-centered, biblical community? Men and women who will love us enough to again encourage us, love us enough to rebuke us, love us enough to pray for us, love us enough to follow up with us, love us enough to, as Jesus said, go to suffer for us. Another question is, how do we view, how do you view those who are wrapped in gray clothes? Do you, do you view them as with this compassion? Or do we view them in an arrogant, self-righteous, they're being dirty, makes me feel clean. The fact that they smell bad makes me feel like I smell pretty good. The fact that they're wrapped in all kinds of drug, sex, debauchery, rock and roll, you name it. The fact that they're wrapped in that, but I'm not, makes me feel really good about, about my life. And, and, and I'm crushing it compared to them. Is that how we view individuals who are wrapped in, in gray clothes, wrapped in gray? How far are we, how, were we, uh, how far are we willing to go to see to it that they are unwrapped in their gray clothes and that they can advance in, in freedom? And in that, transformation from, from death to life, as we see with Lazarus, uh, the process can be smelly, it can be gross, it can be ugly. People may not like it, people may hold their nose. They may flee the scene because they can't take it. But how far are we willing to go with somebody that, that we love dearly? So that they may be possibly even more free to help. And it's possible that our walking alongside of somebody for their deliverance might lead to our own deliverance. Or, you know, some of us are we so selfish that we only care about our own things. Say, hey, you figured out yourself. I'm working on my own things I'm struggling with so that I may be free. 
As soon as I'm unwrapped myself, I'll come help you with yours. And is that our condition? Now, are we alive but bound? You see, Lazarus was alive when Jesus told him to come out. He was alive. He had life in his, in his, in his lungs. But he was still wrapped. And perhaps some of us, you know, we, we, we're alive on the inside, but when we come to church, perhaps we're wrapped in fear and anxiety, insecurities, regrets, jealousy, self-defeating thoughts, and self-condemnation. And yet when somebody asks you, how are you doing today? Man, I'm blessed, better than I deserve. And you've not been in season of four months, you haven't felt the presence of God in a year, but all of a sudden church has become a place where I can't be honest. Or church has become the place where I can't be honest about my relationship with God. Or I can't ask for prayer. Or has church really become the place where I can't find a community of believers? Surely not a church. Are we alive but, but bound? And how far are you willing to go that he may bring you there? And keep in mind, that may be smelly, it may be ugly, it may take a long time. How far are you willing to go so that he may, may be free? I want to share a story with you from um, a training camp. Right before winning the world race in 2010, that was January 2010, but in October of 2009, I went to a 10-day training camp in Gainesville, Georgia. And it was about uh, 40 degrees. I don't know if that's common for Georgia in October, but it was about 40 degrees the whole week. It was kind of misty and, and rainy. And, and it was really just a, it was more miserable those 10 days than any amount of time spent overseas on the world race. But they did this exercise one day where they took the girls and they went off and did their own kind of ministry thing, uh, Breaking Pride. And then they took the guys to do our own little ministry, Breaking Pride uh, little excursion. And so they took us about an hour away from our camp. We went to uh, Lake Lanier in, in Georgia, and just outside of Gainesville. And there's a bunch of islands on that lake. And one island in particular they take us to, they said, um, all right, on this island, uh, they, they took us just where we were. We weren't on an island at the, at the time. They, they, where, they, where we were on land, we could see an island a quarter of a mile away. And we saw some canoes and some kayaks of people in it. And there were about 15 of us, 15 men, 15 of us guys, and then they had maybe 10 others of the staff that for the organization. And they said, on this island, it's about a quarter of a mile away, we just started a bonfire, okay? And, and now it's, there's only coals there right now. There's a little bit of flame, but it's predominantly coals and ash. But you need to take this log that we're going to hand you. You know, just a little fire log. We're going to take this log. We're going to give everybody a log. And you need to swim from where we are, a quarter of a mile to this island, and put your log on the fire. And then you can warm up, you all can warm up by this fire. And so Caleb and I, a friend of mine named Caleb, he and I were some of the first two to, to get in the water. And I'm kind of dog paddling, back kicking my legs. I have, I'm facing everybody, but I'm carrying this log. And, and, uh, and, and it doesn't take too long. But first of all, 40 degrees. And then it was, uh, and then it was also, also the water's really cold. So you're struggling to breathe when the water's that cold. And the water begins to push people under the water. And they would come back up, and I would see people who, who had, I guess, water gotten to about in their lungs. Now they start throwing up. It's like there's vomit floating on the surface of some of the, you know, the water, maybe some of the people. Some of the guys are snot-nosed, hanging from the nose, and dripping over their mouth, and dripping from their chin. I want you to be there with me, okay? And you can quit, which, I mean, again, the men in the room will understand. No, no man wanted to quit and, and, and say, look, I'm out. Because if you quit, you could, you could put your log in the canoe, which was great. We'd have dry wood for the fire. But if you did that... You had to hold on to the canoe the entire, the entire time and let them just paddle you over to the island, which, trust me, they were saying, man, none of the guys wanted to do that. None of us wanted to do that. A little too prideful for us. And as we're going, I real, I'm, I'm starting to see that this, that this log we're carrying, it really becomes a burden for us. And if, you put the, if your log touches the water, well, then it's no good, right? 
if it's a waste. You're too prideful to now it's going to cost the overall group because you couldn't actually help. But I can't ask my buddy Caleb to help carry my log. He's got his own to carry. Right? Hey, I can't say carry my burden. He's already loaded down with his own. But, and occasionally, you know, the, the, the weight of the log was pushing. You couldn't touch the, the, the ground. And so the weight of the log would begin to push him under the water. And you'd have to come fight back up. He'd change hands because his shoulder would get sore. And so finally it hits him. Maybe like watching the movie Saving Private Ryan, where God just starts speaking to him and says, if you would just sacrifice this rod, put your rod in the water, just be, be done with it, then you would be free to, to carry Caleb. So he's swimming right next to him. You know, but Caleb's over here struggling, but you can't even see that he's struggling because you're so selfish thinking about your own burden. Now, this is what I, I mean, I, while this is happening, this is what I'm feeling coming from God. And so I just, I drop my log in the water and I said, Caleb, this isn't yours. Now take his log. And he swims about five feet. And I said, I take it back. I can't. No, here, it's, it's too much for me now. You, you carry it. And he'd swim a little bit more than I would take it. Finally, we made it to shore. We get out. We, we run to the, uh, to the fire to put the log on the fire. At this point, my feet now are beginning to fall out. And I'm, I can feel all the sticks and rocks and pine cones I've stepped on. And by the way, I'm freezing. I mean, i got nothing but a pair of shorts on at this point. And 40 degrees, cold, just turned a quarter of a mile to this island. I'm looking back, guys are hanging on sides of canoes, people have given up, and they just look defeated, I promise you, they're not laughing, like they just feel like they're less of a man because they, were, because they had to give up, which is kind of the pride, that's how they feel. So Caleb and I go back in the water, and now Caleb can go help somebody with their log, I can go help somebody with their log or their burden. So all the while, what I want you to think about, and when you leave here today thinking is, how far are you willing to go so that somebody else can be more free, possibly more free than you? There are sins that I probably, or struggles, I should probably say sins, sins, but struggles that I'll probably take to the grave with me. I said this at, at the sermon, but I'll say this uh, one time. Of course, I said it at the early service, I'm going to say it twice. I'll say this one time, um, that, that I struggle with OCD, right? And I've said that at Christmas before, and, and it's not OCD of touching something a hundred times. It's more of a spiritual side of things, but it is hell on earth for me. I'd gladly trade it with you if you had something else you struggle with. I'll trade with you. Like, I don't struggle with sexual uh, Addiction, I don't struggle with alcohol abuse, I don't struggle with substance abuse, I don't struggle with gambling, I don't struggle with overeating, I don't struggle with that. But I struggle with OCD, and it's hell on earth. It is awful for me. Do you think my wife loves that I struggle with it? I think I have to ask her, hey, did I do this correctly? Do you think God's furious with me because I said this or did that? Do you think she loves having to fight that fight with me and, and oftentimes for me? But she's willing to do it. Why? So that I may be more free than her. All right, so my son's here today, and I'm not going to preach about every, uh, I'm not going to talk about him every time, like every time I preach, but I will say this about my son. Also, my wife let me pick out his outfit since it's my birthday today. So he's dressed like a soccer dad, if, uh, if you haven't seen him. He looks like a soccer dad today. But I'll say this, and I'm going to end here. I'll end with this. I like Moses a lot in the scripture. I like the, the story of Moses and really all of it, um, even the difficult Days of Moses, but you know they spent forty years in the desert, and then his reward for for that um, is that hey you can't you can't go into the promised land because you know he disobeyed God and it was a little frustrating. He hit the rock with with his staff and made water come out, and which almost felt like it was kind of an unjust punishment. But here might say it was being just. But I read that and kind of feel for Moses a little bit. So he didn't make it to the promised land until you get to the New Testament is where he's on Mount of Transfiguration. But he goes to this high mountaintop and God shows him the promised land. But he says, Moses, you're going to die on this rock. You're going to die on this mountain. But your son Joshua will be the one to lead 
the Israelites will lead the people into the promised land, in a promised land, the wilderness of Canaan. Here's my point. I'm fine with my time in the desert if it means my son gets to go to heaven. Okay, I'm fine with wrestling OCD, put to death my pride, put to death arrogance. I'm fine with my wrestles with the flesh if it means my son never has to deal with that. And I'm willing to do that, to endure the desert, if it means my son always understands God's unconditional love, God's favor, and if my son does not have to deal with OCD the way that his father did. If I can take this to the grave with me, I'll take it to the grave because my son doesn't have to deal with it. I'll put up with it. It'll be worth it to me. How far are you willing to go so that somebody else might be more free than you? And again, don't forget, Jesus doesn't say to Lazarus, take off your grave clothes. He says to the community, take your grave clothes off. So are we as a church, how far are we willing to go so that visitors and so that people in the community may have more access? Well, no, that's not the right word, more access to God. But that they may be more free maybe than we are. And possibly in our walking along, alongside of someone to, to their deliverance, perhaps our deliverance is found in them. With that said, let's, uh, let's close in prayer and then we'll sing again and go out to lunch. God, thank you for being a God who sacrificed everything. God, so that we may have the same reward that your son had. God, so that our reward would be in him. God, are we willing to be vessels through which you reach other people? God, I pray the answer is yes. Even now, as we run late, Lord, I pray that we that we'll still be here in this moment for you. God, for our, our wives, for our husbands, God, for our children, for our friends, for our neighbors, God, I pray that we would be willing to do all we can so that they may advance you. Lord willing, even further than you are. God, I pray above all things that you'll glorify and cause things to happen. Amen.